Augie is a wonderful lead trumpet player. Most recently, he toured with the Harry Connick. I guess he wouldn't call it a big band. It's called more of a small band. But uh, now he's spreading his own wings and he's doing his own thing. So get us up to speed. What's going on in your world, man? I'm working on a lot of new projects. I I got a new new CD in the work with my trio. And uh, I wrote and am illustrating a kid's book that uh, is Mm. being accompanied with music. Wow. And uh, and then I've kind of my... You know, kind of taking a left turn with uh, I'm doing a cookbook actually, but with uh, also paired with music. So, kind of uh, got a lot of got a lot of things on the burner right now. How do you pair a cookbook with music? Well, I don't want to give up too much info, right. but uh, <laughs> but basically, um, you know, dish for food, and uh, it's it's for people who like to cook. I'm tying music in in a creative way, kind of like a wine pairing with yeah different entrees. Yeah, something like that. Ah. Well, man, you got some good things going on. Obviously, you've been around the block once or twice touring with Harry Connick Jr. He doesn't hire just anyone to play lead trumpet for him. (laughs) But uh, this podcast is about peak musical performance. And Mm -hmm. the way I like to start each interview is with what you consider to be a, a time when you weren't at your peak. In fact, you consider it one of your worst moments as a performer. And it's just a time where you thought you had it put together and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Take us to a moment like that. There's so many moments to pick from is the problem. No, <laughs> uh, the trump- I always equate trumpet to like golf. You know, it's yeah. like some days it just feels great and you have no idea why or you do know why, but other days you just can't figure out why. And, uh, you know, some days I can't think of any specific performance because, you know, as a professional, you try and camouflage that even when your chops feel really bad. You know, you don't you don't want to let anybody know or let the music suffer. So you do anything you can. But um, I would say when I was do you want a specific example of yes. a performance that went bad? OK, yes. I was I was touring with Harry and uh and I was having, you know, it's not necessarily just the trumpet, but I was really having a hard time hearing the rhythm section. And I came in on a shout section two beats earlier than everyone else. And I played the entire shout section, you know, and it's a, it's a good long shout section. I couldn't, I couldn't really hear anybody in the venue we were. And, and uh, I played an entire shout section, two beats ahead of the whole band. I would, you know, I was reading your questions and it says failed as a performer. I'm not, I'm not sure I like the word fail because, you know, it's, you I'm more like it as a negotiation, you know, hmm. I decided that, you know, this is where I heard it and this is where I was going to put it. So, you know, for better or worse, so that I would say that was a pretty big one because I was, I was still pretty early touring with him and he's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing, man? But, but, uh, but I owned it, uh, and af- afterwards, he came up to me and he was like, man, I honestly, I thought the whole band was wrong and you were right. So <laughs> though, though it was a failed performance musically because I, I indeed was the one who was wrong, um, I think when you look at it, you know, you just have to, first of all, you have to remember it's music. So, you know, we can't take ourselves too, too seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we do it because it's fun and uh, I think if you 
think about that going in, you know, it's, it makes it a lot less stressful. Obviously there are stressful gigs and, you know, high profile things and you always want to play your best. But I would say that's one of my, my biggest failed performances. So it's not one of those yeah. things where you, you, you know that you made a mistake and no one else sort of, it was yeah. pretty obvious that something was going wrong. Yeah. And you know, you're playing to, you know, a crowd of, I don't know, there's uh, 2,500 seat theater and, you know, and he, he kind of attracts a different audience because, you know, he gets the people who love him for when Harry met Sally, but he also gets musicians cause he's, he's a great piano player. So, yeah. so you also get musicians. So, you know, there's a, some people in the crowd who kind of like, wow, he, he really biffed that, you know? And I think that's the hardest part to deal with is, you know, I don't think anybody actually cares that much, but it's, it's you being critical of yourself, which is the hardest part to deal with. You know, mm. obviously we're musicians and we've been trained, you know, try and play perfectly every time. And, you know, you're always, I always feel like I'm the hardest on myself and, <clears throat> for all my friends who are musicians, I always feel that they are the hardest on themselves too. It's never as actually as bad as we think it is. Right. At the end of the day, it's just black dots on a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. And our job is to make people happy. I think what people do is, is fail performances. And then, you know, I hadn't done this, but early in my career, you know, you play a wrong note and you make the face. Mm. And I think that's really when you fail as a performer because it's not your job to decide whether you think it's good or not. It's someone else's job to decide that, you know, like you said, it's about making people happy. So when you make that face, that evokes a reaction of the audience and say, Oh wow, he must've screwed up. Now they feel uncomfortable because they know something didn't go right. And you're putting out a energy, which, which isn't positive. But I think, you know, you can, I've made so many mistakes, but like I said before, it's about negotiating those mistakes. It's, you know, don't give it away. And, and a lot of times people don't, don't even realize, you know, because it's everything happens so fast. So maybe if you went back and listened to a recording, someone's like, oh, wow, I didn't even hear that, you know. Right. But I think ma- the, the making the face is, is the worst thing more than anything else. That's really when you fail as a performer. So when you make a mistake like what you just described, what is the best thing that you can do to not let on? Like, to just own your mistake and and just acknowledge to people who notice I own this what what do you think is the best way to respond to that I think the best way to respond is just you know you got to realize you're it's live performance and that's almost one of the most exciting parts about it is that you can you can screw up and you know like you said before it's just black dots on yeah. a page I think you just try and stay as much in the moment as you can you know you can't think too far ahead you can't think about your mistakes absolutely you know, and, and your intent, you know, is, is the most important part. Did I, am I trying to be as musical as I can? And, and if, I mean, the answer should always be yes. So, you know, missing one note or even playing a whole shout section two beats ahead, you know, it's, you know, my, my intent was in the best place. I wasn't being malicious and, you know, and, and it happened. So, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change that. So, you got to move on because you don't want it to affect the rest of your performance. It's just one of those things. Nobody's wrong. It's just, it just happened, huh? Yeah. All right. Take us to a moment where things just couldn't go wrong for you. It's like a great gig. Your chops feel great. Um, crowd loves it. What, what can you paint us a picture like that where just everything is going right? I would have to say, uh, it was one of the more nerve wracking gigs, but when I did the national anthem at a Packers game solo, you know, this is a familiar tune that you're playing 
solo live. You can't really screw up. But, you know, it was just one of those days where I was like, I have no doubt in my mind that this is going to go 100%. And then, you know, you have 80,000 people who are in your corner to do it to do it well. And when you did and there was a flyover and everything was just like, wow, this is this is amazing. And, you know, the flyover worked perfectly timing because that, you know, that's uh there's, you know, complications with that if the planes are a little far behind, a little far ahead, you got to speed up, you got to slow down. So, but um I just feel like nothing could go wrong that day. Um but in terms of more of like a musical experience, I I remember doing the gig I do now uh we're actually getting ready to do a gig this week in New York with the Gil Evans project and we do a lot of times we do the Porgy and Best stuff and the Miles the Miles Ahead stuff hard lead trumpet parts in that and we were doing it twice in a row we we're doing it both sets so you know you're gonna have to play it twice in a row just and you know I I just couldn't miss you know there's double B flats there's double A's there's there was everything and everything just felt so for both I would sets say, for both sets, wow. you know, it was almost like I was getting stronger as the night went, you know, it's just like, I couldn't miss any notes and, <laughs> and people came up to me afterwards like, what was that? And I was like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could duplicate this and put this little, like in a little jar and know what the heck just happened. How'd you play the day after that? Great. Really? Everything, everything seemed cool. Yeah. Yeah. Everything seemed cool. So, <laughs> you know, it was it was, you know, it was one of those those great nights, you know. So when you were touring with Harry, you play mm-hmm. basically the same set in each city on a tour? Essentially, yeah. You'll start the same. Maybe the middle will be different. He writes new arrangements okay. when you're on the road. So, but yeah, essentially you're starting and you're ending pretty much the same. The middle might be a little different, but yeah. So it's, yeah. it's basically a different city every day playing? Yeah, it was. Wow, that's that's something else. Because I've had other players who who play similar to what you do, and um, mm-hmm. like Paul Barron, he stays in a city for a week, right? But uh, so that's different. So I, I imagine that it's got to be kind of a challenge to keep your mind in the game, and bring, so that you can bring your A game when it comes showtime when you're traveling so much. Different city each day is it? Is that a challenge for you? Um, it used to be. Mm. It used to be. But you, you like anything else, you learn how to deal with it. Right. Um, one thing that really helped me was just drinking a lot of water and exercising, you know, just really taking care of yourself physically and getting, you know, the sleep when you need it. But even if you didn't have enough sleep, if you were hydrated and, you know, and you're in physically good shape, uh, that was like the biggest part for me. Otherwise, you know, you're eating like crap. If you're, if you're doing all the things that, uh, make your body feel like crap, then you're going to feel like crap. But if you're trying to do it where, you know, you're you're trying to take care of yourself as best as possible, then then you'll be cool, I think. All right. Well, we're going to be cool in the hot seat segment right after we take a moment to thank our sponsor. Augie, you are now on the hot seat. Do you think you can stand the heat? I hope so. All right. It's five minutes before you go on stage for a performance. What are you doing? I'm probably going to eat a banana and then I'm just uh, warming up. Yeah. What is the best performance-related advice you've ever received? Be as most prepared as, as humanly possible. You know, don't don't leave anything to chance. Can you share a tip for listeners who might be dealing with stage fright? Uh, yeah, same as same as the answer to the last question. Be be prepared as possible because if you're as prepared as possible, you're leaving less things to chance, less things that can go wrong, and you're going to feel mentally more. 
All right. I think I know the answer to this one, but what's a non-musical activity that helps you succeed as a musician? Uh, I have two. I, I've recently got it pretty into running. Did a half marathon pretty recently. And uh, and the other one is, is cooking. Cooking and music. What's the name of the book? If you Are you, are you at liberty um, to share it? I am not giving that one away, actually, because okay. it's really good, and I don't want anybody to steal it. <laughs> well, this is the last question of the interview, but it is a doozy. Okay. Imagine you're on stage. It's the end of the performance, and the audience is on its feet, giving you a standing ovation. And this isn't philosophical here, so this, we're right. looking for a specific scenario. Yeah. Okay. They don't want any more. They don't want any less. Everything is absolutely perfect. What have you just done? Who'd you play with? Where'd you play? Uh, what did you play? And this could be real or imagined. I mean, if it were imagined, I would probably be playing probably at the Vanguard with my trio and, you know, just played a perfect set. Beautiful people came out. Everything was perfect. That would probably be my, my perfect scenario. And what's, yeah. what are the couple of tunes on the set? Um, probably some originals, probably some of my favorite standards. I was just, ta- I just did an interview recently and I, they asked me what my favorite song was and I said, When You Wish Upon a Star. So probably maybe close with that one just because it's, Honestly, one of the most beautiful melodies I think ever written. Very nice. Well, I'm here at your website right now, augiehost.com. There he is playing two trumpets. Is that, <laughs> wait, a trumpet and a flugelhorn? Trumpet and a flugelhorn. Were you actually playing? Or is that just for show? I, um, I was actually playing them, but not at a show. It was just for the, uh, just for the photo shoot. <laughs> right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Trumpet Dynamics telling the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. Are you a true listener? Visit TrumpetDynamics.com to learn more about the show and subscribe to my email newsletter. You can also find us on Facebook, where we record a live Pay It Forward Friday episode each Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just type in James Newcomb on Trumpet.com into your browser to find the Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we will be in your earballs soon. You're still here. You must like this show or something. Well, I've got a special offer for you for hanging in there to the very end and proving yourself to be a true listener. I have a brand new and it is exclusive for devoted fans of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. It is called The Secret Chamber of Don Clarino. It's brand new. I don't even know what's going to come of it. I'm honestly not even really involved in it, but I'm contractually obligated to tell you about it as an employee of the Trumpet Dynamics podcast. So if you want to learn more about it, here's the URL, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC, trumpetdynamics.live forward slash DC. There's a short registration process and you'll be in there. Okay. I don't know if I'm even allowed to be in there, honestly, but check it out. See if you like it. Later.